taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins. Today I'm going to broadcast a performance that I gave at the Cherry Tree Hotel. The Cherry Tree Hotel is in Cremorne, Richmond, and every Saturday afternoon they have poetry readings by local poets and there's a feature reader and then it's an open mic everybody's welcome to come along and read on the open mic and it's from 2 p.m to 5 p.m though usually it does start a bit later so uh, Brendan Bonsack my team member on the spoken word program recorded this performance and a big thank you to Brendan for that Steve Smart is the MC and he will begin the uh, recording introducing myself. A poet, a presenter on radio, a Tibetologist, and how many of you can say that you're a Tibetologist? None of you except Di. Um, a qualified marriage and funeral celebrant. For me, I find Di's recent work surprising in a wonderful way in that it, in, it indicates a continuing evolution, just when you think you might have her pegged as a poet, she goes off on a whole other amazing journey. And I think that in the time that I've known Di, what I would say is that she's one of those poets that's a searcher and a seeker and is constantly looking out into the world and, and looking for truths and answers in a wide scale and sometimes in a very personal way. And I would very much like to welcome right now to the microphone, Di Cousins, who may have... Ooh, she's got books. There are books to sale, for sale, but I will let Di tell you about that. Would you please welcome Di Cousins? Thank you. That was a, a very beautiful introduction. And it's beautiful to be back at the Cherry Tree Hotel. You know, we've been going in and out of lockdown and finally I think we can feel a little bit confident that we're here and lovely to see old friends like Komenos and John and Alana and Denise and Coralie and Amy and Fiona and Amy and Tim and everyone. So thank you for being here. So I've got a couple of haiku. I do like exploring different forms, and one of the forms that I've spent a lot of time with is haiku. And during lockdown, I wrote quite a few little lockdown haikus. And as you know, uh, three lines and two images and that kind of thing. So it's a fairly structured form. So... This was at the first ones at the very beginning of the pandemic, back in February 2020. Changing Chinese money, I'm given dollars and hand sanitizer. Mopping the kitchen floor, 
while watching a funeral on the phone in COVID time. She rushes back to her car for her mask. Bandits fill the shops. His nose and his nose hair hangs over his mask. Removing my mask, I sneak a sniff of unscented gladioli. Unmasked without helmet, a cyclist chasing freedom in lockdown. Smiling through masks, chocolate given at the door, aged care in lockdown. My ID is checked with mask on, these honest eyes. Heavy rain, the jasmine flowers fall. My hairdresser texts a date. Mask off, strange wind on my face after lockdown. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So while I was in lockdown, or while we were in lockdown, I did a couple of online Zoom poetry writing courses with Myron Lysenko, one of our great stalwarts of the Melbourne poetry scene. And he lives in Wood End. So, you know, it was suddenly the whole Zoom thing was really handy. And um, he's a great haiku enthusiast. And he introduced me to this form called Haibun. And Haibun is a, a form where you start with a piece of prose and then you end with a little haiku that tells you something in addition to the prose. So this is called First Day Out. After the first COVID lockdown, there was increasing pressure to release the refugees who had come from Papua New Guinea to Australia for medical treatment, but who remained sick and locked up in hotels and detention centres. I had been in touch with one for five and a half years. Ali is from Somalia and escaped Al-Shabaab, and we met in the Broad Meadows Detention Centre before COVID took hold. Just before Australia Day, he was also released, and I went to see him at a motel in Sunshine in a room he shared with another Somali friend. They had been on the same small Indonesian fishing boat nearly eight years earlier. I rang another survivor and they talked for the first time since parting after the boat trip. And this is the haiku. Afternoon prayers. He wears the shoes I sent him in detention. Thank you. Another haibun. Her mother's funeral. Two good-looking children read from the Bible, and the priest intoned the Lord's Prayer. A life of great service was recalled. One thousand babies born to this midwife. Masks on, we listened to Cat Stevens sing 
morning has broken and sat socially distanced in this COVID time across the wide and high stone church, the sons and daughter in the front row. The daughter had looked after her mother through a long and painful illness and kept her out of an institution. Outside, masks came off and the hearse was farewelled. And this is the haiku. Nicotine-stained teeth. It's a hard life as her mother's carer. So I'll go on to some other ones. So rare earth, it's a different style of poem. This rare earth gives life to my mobile phone, circles the sun, the only life in the galaxy is the ground on which I stand, holding me up, holding the known world. I read a book about somebody called Morris Wilson who tried very, very hard to be the first man to climb Mount Everest. And this was in 1934, so it, obviously he didn't actually achieve it. Morris Wilson's attempt on Mount Everest, 1934. The hard gods of cold, snow, wind, hunger and exhaustion will keep him from climbing Mount Everest. Maybe he knows that and just seeks to belong to the mountain, to die there, his body dissolving into the ice, lost in a crevasse, so that his spirit could fly and ascend the summit by itself. And in, uh, in Myron's course, during Myron's course, Anya Volvich died, who I don't remember meeting, though she was at RMIT, and I, I might have met her. But uh, Myron asked us to throw all the rules away and write something in the spirit of Anya Volvich, and I wrote this one, which was published in Unusual Work, which is um, Pio Edits. Unpacking a suitcase in honour of Anya Volvich. These old trousers, black, black, this strong fabric, so old, from more than 100 years ago. My uncle, I find them in the suitcase today, yes, today, from the shed, the shed. Where is the lawnmower? Boxes and tools, so much dust, so many spiders, so many tools, the pick, the saw, the axe, all from a hundred years ago. The tapes, the tapes of my father, the radio tapes, so dusty, so faded, so old, getting rusty, dusty, rusty, dusty. The tapes, the old sounds, the old stories in the shed, the suitcases, the clothes of my uncle, two suits, they call them tails. The long jacket goes beyond the back in points, the vest. The suits have names, so I know they are my uncle's and his sailor suit from when he was four. So small, so old, so dirty. 
I took them to the dry cleaner today, and my own small smocks when I was new, so young, so very old, pink and cream, was smocking on the smocks, smocking in fine hand, and lace, real lace, not from machine hand, from hand, by hand, the lace on the smocks, but some of the smocks have stains from rust, rust and dust, rust and dust, in the suitcase, the shed, the old time from the old house, I never unpacked it, I just brought it, there was no time for the old time, no time to unpack, no time to clean, no time to sort, the old time has gone, and there is no time for the old time, but the things are still here. So we all got to um, we all got to do Zoom in COVID, and I was working in a university, and I got shifted into an accounts department, which was like, you really don't want me to stay, do you? You know. <laughs> so luckily, anyway, so it wasn't a lot of fun. Anyway, so this is called office meeting in COVID time. My frozen face might fall off in a Zoom meeting, tested by news of babies and baking the team catch up. I am not required to speak, but I must smile. The Brady Bunch screen of lined up faces, rows of us, some with virtual backgrounds of beaches or skies, or an actual beige curtain, myself in a room with pictures on the wall. My frozen face might fall off, but for my hard resolve to keep smiling, at least to narrow the eyes and show my teeth. The Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Thursday, April 27 to Friday, May 12, Uruk is holding public hearings to question Victorian Government Ministers, Senior Bureaucrats and Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police about injustice against First Peoples in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at yurukjusticecommission.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
that was some shakuhachi music from Anne Norman and Larry Tyrrell, uh, taken from their CD Haven. And you're listening to a live recording of myself, Di Cousins, at the Cherry Tree Hotel. They have a poetry reading every Saturday afternoon, and the Cherry Tree Hotel is in Richmond. So I spent a little bit of time in um, Chiltern just before the whole world folded over in COVID and uh, my grand great-grandparents had uh, married there and so on. Chiltern is up in uh, North Victoria near Albury, Wodonga. And I still have a very distant relative there who's a cousin. So turbans at Black Dog Creek. My old cousin remembers the turbans strung along the fence on the side of the Black Dog Creek where the black dingo was killed in the time before the names had the names they have now. Long strips of colour side by side Purple, red, blue, cream, orange, green and white. The turbans of the Sikh traders who lived in the hut by the creek. They drove their Clydesdale horses pulling wagons with the clothes and blankets, pots and pans the women needed in their lonely farms until the Second World War. And after that, everyone got cars. They kept themselves to themselves and nobody minded these men with their beautiful, well-kept horses, their bright turbans in a drab world. But then one day they were gone. Gone, but not lost like Robert O'Hara Burke, whose police post still stands a mile away and who was not guided by Afghans, Sikhs, or Aborigines on his journey north. Um, And I've got a poem published in um, a zine in honour of Anya Volvich, which was published last week. It's It's an online zine. Dust. Dust smells like dust. Bits of lost things... Past time, unopened doors, closed windows, absence, forgetfulness, abandoned books and old papers piled up. Dust looks like a grey film covering black plastic electronic machines, blurry vision, car windows you can't see out, an absence of focus. Dust feels like grit under your feet, discolored carpet, loose hair and dirty tiles, a failure of duty. Dust happens when some things are overdue. So um, about four years ago, or maybe not quite four years ago, my brother became disabled after being assaulted at his home and I became responsible for his well-being 
And I wrote this poem soon after when he was first in hospital and I was responsible for um, his laundry. Laundry. My brother's clothes get seven kinds of washing. First, the water. Second, the soap. Third, the jiggling machine. Fourth, the spin that squeezes everything almost dry. Fifth, the sun. And sixth, the wind on the line. Then they are finally dried in the heat of the dryer. Clean number seven. I don't think there's any germs left. Folded and bagged, I take the T-shirts, pyjamas, chucky pants and socks to the hospital. Maybe a chocolate bar too. Shame, but no one can find a clean for history, the past or the incident. The house guest who nearly beat him to death with a meat mallet. Meanwhile, I cleaned the crime scene after the police had gone. Remnants of too many mistakes. I left the forensic powder outlining the boot prints on the floor for the professionals and the oven. Anyway, so this morning um, I woke up and thought, let's write a poem. So I did. So who knows if this is any good. Uh, anyway, we'll give it a go. So like the silent orphans in Romania. At some point I felt like the orphan babies in Romania after Ceausescu was executed in the revolution and the world arrived and saw what was there. The babies didn't cry in the wards of the orphanages because they knew no one would come. In the beginning, I wrote to the minister and the prime minister and the local member about the situation of refugees detained offshore, their medical needs and neglect, the threats to the witness after a camp guard was found guilty of murder and escaped. I organised petitions to Parliament, wrote letters to the paper, attended demonstrations, and years went by, and things got worse. The refugees got sick, and some died, and some came here. They stayed in the Park Hotel, but help was denied, and they had nowhere to go. They could look out the window and wave at supporters holding banners and writing messages of hope in chalk on the ground and on the building. Years went by and they were not let out of the hotel and by this time I had stopped writing to members of parliament because I knew no help was coming and I felt like the silent baby orphans in Romania who stopped crying because no one would come. Years went by, and the refugees in the hotel had trouble believing in hope. And sometimes they were served maggots instead of food. And you might think I'm making this up, and I can only say that I wish it wasn't true. The refugees forgot what season it was, because they were only looking out of a window to the street below, 
And the daytime temperature was always the same, 20 degrees. Years went by, and then the government was voted out for negligence, venality, incompetence, and corruption, and the refugees were allowed to leave the hotel. And after the election, I felt I'd been let out too. So this is called Moments. The petrol receipt says I paid at 12.22. And the newspaper says the truck rolled at 12.44. But it is not 20 minutes from the petrol station to the truck crash, more like 10. So when I drove round the corner and people were looking with their hands to their mouths... It must have just happened. And all the time I wasted parking in front of a diesel hose, parking on the wrong side of the pumps, agonizing over what sandwich to buy, was time spent keeping clear of the crash when it happened. Thank you. So I've had a request from my good buddy, John McKelvey. Yay. And uh, this is, um, goes back to my office life, which uh, happily I'm not currently in. And it's called Cellular Life. In the cell of Excel, in the jail cell of my office, in the spreadsheet with its Tight boundaries, narrow rows, constricting columns. In the swallow-you-whole world of databases, data items, data maps, data mining, in the age of information, in the cyber time, in the single cell, the solitary cell, the confined cell, I do not excel. I am in cell captive. So I, I was in touch with friends on Manus Island for some years, and one of them wanted to have a conversation with my dad, and he was in a nursing home and demented, but there were some things he could still do. Intersection. In the end, I am the only visitor. My father lies in bed after dinner, his face to the wall, not knowing where he is or how he got there. I give him chocolate and biscuits, tell him my news, though he can't understand what I'm saying sometimes. His hearing was always bad. I text my friend again, send a photo. He is in a prison camp in Papua New Guinea, a refugee. The friend asks me to say hello from him, even if my father forgets it. I say hello from my friend, but it's a bit hard to explain when all the rest of his life has gone. There's a guy in a jungle who can see his photo and who sends his best regards. Connection. 
My father worked in radio. He knows about recording voice. This telephone can record your voice, I say. There is a man in a jungle who wants to say hello. And this time he understands. The dining room of the nursing home is beige. And the framed prints of cheery landscapes are faded by the sun. He speaks into the microphone, I press send. And on Manus Island, my refugee responds. I play back his voice. The messages go back and forth. My father tells the refugee he is proud to know him. We sit at a square table with some old people who look but don't speak. Dad is 90. He has one more fortnight. That was a recording of myself, Di Cousins, at the Cherry Tree Hotel. You've been listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.